So over the last couple of months, I've been doing a lot of research into the N64, and more specifically, the technology of the N64. I feel like the Sony PlayStation and the N64 mark this important time in video game history, not just in the way of graphics with the jump from 2D to 3D stuff, but more so in the way the directors and the sound designers of these games began to shift in the way they told their stories. I feel like there's a bunch of secrets to uncover underneath a lot of the surface level stuff, so I began to look into how the music and the sound was written and programmed into N64 games. During my research process, I found little things here and there, but nothing that gave me that, that solid information that I was looking for. Um, so I decided to go straight to the Masters, and I hit up Grant Kirkhope, who was completely open to having a chat about his experiences in working with the N64 hardware. Uh, now, Grant is a composer still working in the industry, and back in the 90s, he worked on a whole bunch of critically acclaimed titles like GoldenEye, uh, Banjo-Kazooie, etc., and kept going strong to the present day with Ukulele and the upcoming Mario and Rabbids game. After initially meeting over Skype, I jumped straight in with all my questions on his experiences with the N64 hardware. During this interview, I double up on a few questions, um, only because I wanted to make sure I understood exactly what he was saying before you know the call ended and I couldn't ask him anything else. Uh, we talk a lot about the tech side of things, his musical inspirations, uh, thoughts on modern day video game music, and then we finish with Grant talking about his experience on the Mario and Rabbids game. So I hope this finds you well, and thanks for listening. Yeah, so so I'd love to just take it take it from the top of of when you started working with like on your website. You've got you know the, the, one of the first things you did, I think it was ninety six. Right. Uh, was was Donkey Kong Country two? Yeah. Um, so you know, is, is that kind of where you started working with Rare? Like, it, what was? What, yeah, like I start I started Rare in like October ninety five. Okay. Uh, and then uh, my first job was uh, to convert Dave Wise's music from the Super NES version of uh, Donkey Kong two Diddy Kong's Quest to work on the original Game Boy, the four channel Game Boy. So you mm. had like you had like three note channels which could play one note monophonic. And, a, and the fourth channel was like a noise channel. It just contained lots of funny noises. So that that yep. kind of did the drum noises and the uh, SFX, really. So it was like pretty basic. Mm. Yeah, cool. So what what was it like working with the tech um, moving from the Super NES to the N64? What, what was that jump like? So I, I never worked on the, NES at all, the Super NES at all, right? I, just, I went straight to the N64. So, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so I got there like 95 and they were, they were still doing like, I think Donkey Kong 3 on the SNES. Mm. But they were in full production on the on the N64. So uh, I was like, my as I, I was I was supposed to do like my job was uh, as a new boy. I did the uh, Game Boy in the morning. I did I did uh, N64 in the afternoons. So I did like get Golden Eye was my first game on the N64. So I did Golden yes. Eye in the afternoons. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so so I guess ju- jumping into. Um into actually into working with N64. What was that first experience like working with N64? Yeah, because I mean, I'd, I'd never done anything like that in my life before. Like I'd been mm. messing around with Cubase and MIDI files and you know and proper synthesizers, right? Yeah. So I, I had no mm. preconception about what I was supposed to do until I got there. And I was like, oh, this is how it works. I didn't know that at all. So basically, mm. everyone seemed to think that um, you... There's a common misconception about writing music back in those days, right? Everyone thinks that you would record a track, you'd, you'd put a track together using really great synthesizers at 44.1 you know, kilohertz CD quality, then you just compress that track down and put it in the N64. That's complete nonsense, right? It never worked. It doesn't work like that. So when people say, have you got the uncompressed versions? It's just like, it's a nonsense question because it, that's just, 
It never existed in that form ever. The only reason that I've got six GoldenEye tracks that are uncomp uncompressed and, and they're, you know, is because I was waiting for an N64 dev kit. And so while I was waiting for it, I wrote six tracks using my, my, my synthesizers at the time, which was a JV1080 and a, an Emu Proteus FX, just to get, just to write something rather, rather than sitting there bored. And then mm. when I got the N64, I didn't do that anymore. But people get confused, think that, that you write the full quality track, compress it down, and that's just not what happens, right? So what you do is, um, we had to, obviously, it's obviously really careful about memory space. You had to get things as tiny as possible. So, for instance, um, say the trumpets had a trumpet sound on my little sound set that I made up. So your whole point was to build up a little kind of MIDI orchestra or a MIDI sound set inside the N64. Or it would be on the ROM, right? It would be on the ROM cartridge that you plugged into the machine. It would be, be in there. So I'd yep. sample a trumpet. I'd probably sample one note, maybe a, a C in the middle. And then I'd... I'd keep the first part of the, the note, the attack, the bat, and then you'd have the long uh, note at the end of it. So you'd find a loop point in that bit near the end. After the first mm. attack, you'd try and get a loop point so it would loop round and round and round and round, you know, as soon as possible to save memory. So you'd do that on everything. So everything you built up in San 64 that needed to be that needed to be a long note was just a very quick attack at the start, and mm. then you'd find a loop point as fast as you could after that to loop round it. And you'd have yeah. to kind of, also you'd have to utilize so like you know synthesizers are not are normally multi sampled so you know you'll have a an, a, a a note a C a G a C a G a, like right up down the keyboard right because obviously as you play a note higher and higher higher it starts to sound worse and worse and worse and you play a note from the original note you sample lower it sounds worse and worse and worse but we had no space so we had to just pick the best note we thought was where we'd use it around that register most of the time and that mm. that'd be the note you chose I did have several string samples. That was unusual. I had a bass sample, a slightly celloy sample, a slightly violin sample, and one higher and one higher than that. That was the biggest mm. space I allowed myself to get there for the strings. But usually, yeah. so you so you get that sample right, and then you'd um, you'd cut it, get it done as small as possible, and, and then you'd resample it. So it would be at like say forty four point one kilo CD quality, and you'd get it as low as you can in sample rate until it sounded dreadful, right? Mm. So it would nothing. I'd say nothing in those days was above sixteen kilohertz. So less than half CD quality. Um, yeah. So it would be way down there. So the things that needed a bit of top end, you'd probably probably given 16 kilohertz. That would be ma maximum you could allow. If it was bassy, yeah. you might go down to eight or 11. If right. You get, if you get away with it, because that would save space, right? And then it would be compressed by the N64 when it got in there. So mm. we'd put it, we'd, we'd, we'd take the sample, resample it down as far as it could go, would sometimes go back and re-EQ it because it would sound so muddy and awful. We'd put top on it, a bit more EQ mm. to kind of brighten it a little bit. But, it, you know, it was, it, it was dreadful, really. And then yeah. you'd go through a process in, on the, of the dev kit where you'd tap a certain amount of commands into the indie computer, the silicon graphics computer, and it would compress the sample and add it to the sound base. So you did that right. with every single instrument that you were going to use. And then mm. there was big key maps where you'd, you'd tell the N64, it was a big, long, huge text file, like gigantic, like hundreds and hundreds of lines wrong. Thousands of lines wrong. And yeah. each instrument would have, a, would have a key map, so you'd say what keys it would be used between. You'd give it a, two numbers. You'd give it a key base, so it knew that was the, t the, the key base of the sample. If it was C3, for instance, you'd say that was a key base, so it knew that. So these great, mm -hmm. bloody huge text files. And if you got one single comma out, out wrong, it wouldn't compile. And then, right. And then you have to go through the whole thing and try and find your mistake. It used to take you hours. So yeah, was so careful. So we used to always cut and paste lines because if you just got one comma out of place, it was all over you. Oh my god, I'm going to take two days to find this. 
bloody stupid mistake I just made a minute ago, you know. So, yeah. And so you slowly built up a little MIDI orchestra sound set inside the cartridge. And so we, um, at Rare, a lot of times guys would write a piece using full synthesizers, like a great, fantastic track, and then try and make it sound great on the N64. That never worked yeah. that way. So we had a mm. link from our, our, our work computer, the PC, where we composed the music using, using Cubase, but we, we could fire MIDI into the N64 so it would mm. play the actual sounds that you'd put in there in the N64. So you, yeah. you knew how it was going to sound. There was no guesswork. Whatever, however it sounded at that point was how it was going to sound in the game, right? So it made you mm. be more selective. You knew some things would sound good at a certain register, but crap at another register. So you, had to, yeah. you got to learn that. So that's the reason why in Banjo-Kazooie, there's a marimba everywhere, because a marimba was a tiny little sample. There was no loop, just a bong noise, right? Like yeah, that. sure. And it sounded great in any octave. So that's why everyone thinks I've got this kind of fetish for marimbas. Like, it isn't really that. It just, it just, it, it just really was like a, um, it was a sound that sounded great. It was tiny in memory. Yeah. And so I used it. A lot of the times in, in, in back in those days, you'd use the sounds that sounded great, whether you liked them or not, really. Because yeah. it was economical, it was smaller memory space. Mm. You know, like try to get some of the synth sounds I used in, in GoldenEye to the cartridge as a nightmare. You know, and also mm. symbol, symbols were a nightmare because symbols go, and they've got a massive long, envelope on like a tail on the end you know you couldn't yeah. afford that so we used to go we used to get a similar go keep the first part the dish and then we'd loop the bit coming the bit after it so like that you go and then we'd put an envelope on it to take it away yes that's why it sounds so bloody awful there's no way we could afford the decay no way yeah you know so all that kind of stuff like and timpani drums also the same way they were like another thing we'd have a bong on it like that you know you couldn't get around that you know, some things would would loop okay, like flutes. Yeah. Always, uh, clarinet, they'd sound all right because they're very pure waves. But strings yes. were hard to loop. French horns were all right. Trombones, trumpets were okay to loop. Um, yeah. But some things were just difficult to do, and you, and sometimes you just stop stuff it. I'm not doing it. It's too hard to get. It's too hard to do it. Like, yeah. You know, so, so it sounds it sounds like uh, percussion was was trickier than than other instruments just because it had such a such quick attack, but then it would have, it would have like a different resonance after it. So like the cymbal you've got the attack but then it's got this kind of simmer yeah, it's huge it's a real, a real long decay right so yeah, that was hard yeah. but something like a marimba yeah. is a very sharp noise and it's a very sharp decay mm. so you could put it in and it's in, in a whole sample in there not worry about yeah. it and it would sound great over any octave really you know yeah. so it was a real mess around to try and make it sound decent and that's why it's still amazing I mean, like people like the soundtracks to this day because we were, we were all going oh god it sounds bloody awful you know yeah you know yeah that that's really interesting like did, did you find that the those awkward workarounds did, did they crush creativity or, or did you feel um like you still had a freedom or, or were you did you feel like you were kind of crushed a little bit with your creativity on, on how much you were able to do that doesn't sound like you had a lot of kind of like leeway it made you become a bit more um we used to get determined, right, to make things sound good. We'd be, we'd, we'd, we'd like, we'd have a little in battle amongst the great composers. You can, you can get the smallest sample that sounded best, you know, a little kind of mm. like that. So, but like, I used to think that back in those days, a lot of the guys that I know from back then could write a really great tune because that's all you had, right? You, you had no huge, great one finger on the keyboard, massive, amazing synth noise that you can get these days. Mm. You, had, you know, you had none of that. You just couldn't afford the space. So you had to, you basically had to write a good tune with a decent set of chords. And that was all about that. Like, you know, Tim Stamper and the guys at Ray used to always say to me, listen to, listen to the Mario music. Listen, you can listen to that a million times over and not get, not get bored of it. You know, that was uh, that whole technique of trying to write music that you could, you could loop around a million times yeah. and not get on people's tits, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. You know, like, so it used to be a real 
So a lot of the guys I know about then could write a good tune because that's all you had. You had to try and write the best tune you could because you didn't have any great huge swathes of synthesizer, yeah. reverb, amazing. There was just didn't exist, you know. Mm. Yeah, I have um had a I love talking to composers. I, I love it so much. I, I talked to um to Gareth Coker who did Ori in the Blind Forest and right. and he said something something really interesting of, of uh you know, you know, back then in, in, in the nineties and, and when you were really limited, it was, it was, the focus was just about the melody because that's what stuck was what stuck. But, uh, it's a lot about like here in the, in, in the two thousands, it's, it's a lot about texture. It's about those kind of, you know, say like call of duty, those big bangs, you don't really hear any, like any memorable melodies or anything. Do, do, do you have a comment on that or on what it's like, what was like now compared to back then there's more focus on texture. Yeah, I, like, I guess I don't like that. I guess I'm a, I'm a guy that likes melody. Like for me, yeah. movies these days have got very bland. It's very big and epic, but very unremarkable. You can't remember a note of it, right? And I don't like mm. that. I think that for me, when I go see a movie or a game, I want to come away singing the tune, right? I want to sing yeah. the Harry Potter theme tune or, you know, or, or Star Wars or one of those amazing tunes that you remember for the rest of your life, right? And I think yeah. that, I think it's a misconception out there that a lot of directors think that, it, you know, they get scared that, you know, the melody steals the scene. For me, it's like, you know, write about a scene, mate. If you, if you melody, yeah. if melody's going to steal your scene, your scene must be crap, right? Write about yeah, a scene. Sure. You know, it shouldn't be like that. Like, everybody loves yeah. it when, when Darth Vader walks on, right? It's fantastic, right? And it, I, 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 so many people complain about they can't remember the tunes anymore. I went to see so-and-so movie, I can't remember, remember a note of it. I like, I really hate yeah. that. You know, I think video games mm. are still in that, video games still like strong melody. Like, everything that I yeah. do, I'm... You know, I've just done that game, that Mario Pro Rabbids Kingdom Battle. And like, there's well yeah. over two and a half hours of music on that game, right? And literally, I wrote a new tune for every single piece of music, every single piece. There's no like, in a movie, you can reuse themes. Like, a lot of video games, guys, you have to write a new piece for everything that happens, right? Every, a new mm. tune for a new level, a new, a new that. Like, it's, it's melody intensive. It's exhausting to try and write all that stuff, but it's so mm. rewarding. And like, I think the people that, the reason that I think that I'm even, I might have lasted the test of time, could <laughs> be an old git that I am, is that uh, <laughs> people remember the melodies that I write, you know? Yeah, and I really exactly. try hard to do that. And I, I think there's a place for everything. So I do understand that there is that textural thing, and I get that. But I still think that the average person in the street wants to hear a melody. There's, re there's a reason mm. why Lady Gaga might be number one at a certain point in time, because she's probably written a bloody good tune that you can yeah. remember and you whistle down the street remember it, right? You don't hear people going down the street whistling ambient tracks, do you? You don't hear yeah, that, no. right? It's not there, yeah. right? So I think that there's a mm. place for that. But I think, you know, sometimes people get a bit wrapped up in um, what's currently the trend or whatever that might happen to be. And I just, mm. for me, I just, I, don't, I just don't agree with it. I think that your average person really likes a good bloody tune and they really do. You know, that's, that's mm. the difference, right? It's not about what's hip. For me, it's just not about that. It's, you know, people, you know, everyone likes, bloody, you know, everyone likes their own favorite bands, not because, unless you're into Tangerine Dream or something, perhaps, where, you know, they're writing great <laughs> yeah. huge soundscapes, and I get that right. But, yeah. you know, even Pink Floyd, even bands like that, I still write bloody great tunes, you know. Mm. Like, it's it's super important, I think. And I think yeah. that, that, that art, I hope it doesn't go away. Like, John Williams is my, is my you know, my idol kind of thing, you know. And I, yeah. he writes a bloody great tune that everyone can remember. And there's a reason mm. why everyone loves his tunes because you know there's a there's a Facebook there's a not so Facebook there's a a YouTube video where that guy was going on the street saying, "Can you can you sing me Harry Potter? Can you sing me Star Wars? Can you?" And all, yeah, everyone's yeah. going, everyone's got the tune. Can you sing me the Cap Captain America theme tune? Uh, Iron Man, nothing. Uh, Thor, like you know, yeah. you know the the Marvel universe dwarfs Star Wars. 
It dwarfs yeah. that. It's gigantic compared to it, like mm. just the money it's made, right? But no one can remember a bloody note of it. Yeah. For me, that's wrong. It shouldn't be like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I th- a pattern that I was seeing in, in John Williams's work, um, I haven't studied it intensely, but be cool to get your thoughts on it, is that he, he loves to finish a melody on like resolving on the resolving note, just kind of bring it right back around. He, yeah. I feel like that's really, I feel like it's really bold. Like that's really, um, I, I think a lot of guys like to kind of be a little bit dark and, and kind of interesting that way. But I think John Williams is, is, is the man when it comes to just completely resolving a melody and let it sit on, you know, if it's in, in the key of G finishing on a big G, you know, yeah. like Star Wars does it, Indiana yeah. Jones. And I also think that, you know, he's, you know, he, you know, there's, there's, there's a time and place for everything, right? There's a moment for melody and a moment where it shouldn't be there. Right, mm. but I, for me, there's no moment when it shouldn't be there at all. Like I think it needs to be there at points all over the place. It gives people a yeah. real, you know, there's that bit where you remember that bit where the guy came on and you heard the tune and you never, you never forget it for the rest of your life. That's super important. That is. Yeah. And like even like, I mean, Dan Elfman's written a lot, a ton of like dark music, but it's still memorable. Like Dan Elfman's mm. Batman's still the best Batman in my eyes. Dan yeah. Elfman's Spider-Man's still the best Spider-Man in my eyes. It's way mm. better than anything comes to, comes since then. You know, it's like yeah. I just feel that. Um, I feel like it's a misconception that melodies is, is, you know, people don't want to hear that anymore. I think that's complete nonsense because you wouldn't, mm. you wouldn't get a, the pop charts without melody. Ariana yeah. Grande wouldn't be like selling millions of albums without a decent bloody tune. And I don't particularly totally. like her, but you know, the, her writers yeah. write bloody good tunes that I can remember whether I like it or not. You mm. know, that's yeah. Uh, the um, have you seen the new Spider Man? Yes, the latest one. Yeah, and uh, and they played the big um, Spider Man melody at the, at the start. That was yeah. that felt pretty cool. Yeah, and also, um, I think, but Michael G. Kino has written a decent melody in that Spider Man movie. He's tried to get mm. back to that. You know, so it's definitely a new Spider Man theme. So yeah. you know, I applaud that. I think it's a great thing mm. to do. I, th- I just think that it's. I don't like it without it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, jumping back into into the N sixty four, I'm, I'm going to use Banjo Kazooie as like as the base for most of this conversation, just because I, I know it the best. Right. Um, and I, and even talking about melody, it's it's I think for me it's just got some of the greatest the greatest melodies. Um, it, I think because it had a grand of scale, uh, a, a grand of scale, a, a grand scale. Right. Um, almost every level had its own little melody and, and it's been praised for its dynamic, you know, crossfading between instruments and, and different sections and stuff. Uh, knowing the limitations that you had with, um, with actually getting just a simple uh, song into, into the game, was that really difficult to be able to crossfade into different instruments and stuff? Like, what was that process like? No, that was not, that's not that hard really. Like it just took a little bit of thought on the composer's behalf, like my behalf. So, you know, back then we had a MIDI file that had 16 tracks, right? So you could, you could have 16 instruments. Mm-hmm. So that basically that said that, you know, if I, had, if I had a level, like the first level that's got maybe three or four different, different areas, I had, to, I had to work out how many channels for that area, how many channels for that area. So I'd write the, the, I'd write the, I'd probably pick the first four channels, let's say for the main melody. And then I'd work out the, the mumbos, the village on the, on the hill. I'd go, I'll do that next. So playing it all mm-hmm. together was kind of like a real mess. But when you isolate the tracks that I meant for those particular sections, it would sound right. So all, mm. you had to, all I had to do was write down, tell the programmer who at the time, that's, we'd draw a little circle around the area. In, you can't see it. It's in, it's in, it's in, the, it's in the landscape, you know. Uh, it's, mm. in, it's underneath. So like you draw a little circle. And when you cross the circle, it, it, the, the game would say, all right, slowly fade out these four channels and fade in these five channels. And that's how it worked like that. And that's, mm. that, that was it's not particularly hard. 
It was yeah, just sure. just took a bit of thought on uh, the composer's half to divide up his channels. It, I mean, in 16 channels, there's not a lot, really. You know, you've got mm. to think, to try and write a big tune, you might need quite a lot of them, you know. So I had to work, I had to try and be, you know, pick instruments that would sound quite big, let's say, to give a big bit for that particular that particular area, you know, so, mm. and divide it up accordingly. So if you've got a, like an, an area where there's a lot of channel fades, you're maybe using two or three channels, two or three instruments per, per channel, sorry, per area, you know, yeah. so. But when we came to Banjo-Tooie, um, the composer then, it was uh, Will Bryan, um, he worked out a way to stick two MIDI files together and keep them in sync. Right. Because the hard part was, like, when you've got one MIDI file, it's going to be, it's going to be in sync because it's completely, to, it's only one file. When you get two yeah. files, it's keeping them both in sync at the same time. So then he did that, so I had 32 channels for Banjo-Tooie, so I had a little way more. So like in Grunty's, the Funfair, what's that called, Grunty's? Oh, God, I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> it's a fun fair in bloody grunty, grunty world grunty oh, that's something like that but it's a fun fair part there's tons of yeah. there's, ch- there's, lots, there's a lot of channel fed in that and that was all done because I had much more channels to play with 32 channels so I could, I could really go to town on all of them so it was great mm. to do it like that but is that because of the expansion pack like did that no no no, no no it's just physically sticking two mini files together that's all it was okay right yeah right, right. but we had like we got that idea from when I first got to Rare, they, 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 they really loved the LucasArts games, you know, like uh, Monkey Island and Full Throttle mm. and uh, Day of the Tentacle. And, and they loved Monkey Island in particular. And that's got that channel fade technology in it. It was called, they called it the iMuse system back then. And we were all fascinated by it. I thought it was fantastic. Um, so mm. we did our own, our own little version. So we got that idea from there, from Monkey Island. And that, so that was, we thought that was fantastic. It faded to different, different versions that you wondered about. It was so fluid. We thought we just, mm. got, we just got to do that. We just got it to work. It was, fant- it was great, that was. Yeah, yeah. Um, so going back to what you said about uh, 16 channels to work with in, in Banjo, could could that vary depending on what areas you were in? Like, so uh, the in, in the research process, you know, like if, uh, the, real, the reality signal processor was the hardware of, of the N64 and, and it was kind of splitting the graphics and the sound yeah. and working both at once. Would uh, say an, an area that had less information on it would that open up more channels for sound? No, because MIDI files are restricted to 16, 16 tra- tracks in a MIDI file. That's, that's the law, right? That's a, that's as it was invented years ago. Whoever, cool, okay. whoever, whoever invented the MIDI file, that was a that was a real sixty. It's probably something to do with you know how numbers build up sixteen thirty two. Is it all like it's all like in, in, mm. yeah, yeah. what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, increment. It's always like in that increment. It's like yeah. you know, like you know, all like to wrap to. to so um, yeah, so that's what it was. So it's so sixteen channels. That was it. Mm, gotcha. And, I, um, and also, I, I still have to, I have to reserve one channel for the underwater. So I really had fifteen because because there was going to be a harp for the underwater always, if right. because most levels are underwater. So I, yeah, I probably had fifteen channels for levels really. Okay, so in um in, in a lot of the because you were also the sound designer, right? Right. You you did all the all the sound effects. And, yeah. Um. So. In a few of the stages, there's there's a bit of ambience, like there's kind of birds chirping and and other things kind of happening. Was that part of the sixteen channels you were given, or, or was that a bit more open? Like, w- did you have sixteen channels just for absolutely everything as far as, as far as sound goes? Well, so yeah, it- yeah, so like it's a bit like that. So like uh, in uh, in a level, right? If you had something, uh, the general ambience going on, that would be in the midi fast. I guess I forgot, I forgot about that. So like mm. if, it, if there was like in the if there's ocean or like in uh, Treasure Trove Cove, there was a, there was an oceans track in that, that triggered uh, a sea loop that I'd made up, and it just mm. looped it round and round and round. So that would reduce the channels even more. But anything yep. any kind of spot sound, so like say there was a bird in a tree, or 
that would be just it'd be it would be on that on the bird in the tree, not in the MIDI file, because you wouldn't hear it all the time. But like gotcha. that, that's why that's why I could use some of the uh, little bird tweet noises for like for an instrument to play note to play notes in, like mm. you know. So some of that stuff, like the frogs doing all that in there. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, what's a swamp called? Crash. You think I can remember these names? I'm getting so old I can't remember the names. <laughs> uh, something swamp. Oh Christ. Oh, but a bubble bubble glue. That's it. Yes. Well done, sir. Bubble yeah. Glue. That's you get the prize. Yeah. God, I'm getting bad at. <laughs> so yeah. So like in that, I could use. You know, if if I was using this, yes, I could do that. Um, mm. So, but but usually the general ambience was in the MIDI file. Okay. So the general sound, because like, but think about one good thing about the MIDI file thing was that um, another way to save memory, which is just this was a massive pain in the ass, but it was it worked in the end. If you had mm. a repeating bar, say you had a drum beat that went a bass drum went through the entire piece, never changed, right? You could just do one bar of it, and you could put a marker at the start of the bar and a marker at the end, and say loop. 45 times whatever it was so you'd yeah. save the space you didn't physically you know even though that was like a, a, a few bits and it was tiny a few bytes of information mm. it would save enough to, for you to do something else so you try to yeah. save so you'd so you'd, you'd put the mark at the front mark at the end say loop around 45 times it'd only be in the midi file once it wouldn't be like copied for the length of the midi file which mm. made midi files a real pain in the ass to go back and edit because when you went back to them to try and work out what's going on you had things that were like only going for one things that were going for the whole thing it was a real thing yeah but it also meant the actual midi file didn't loop end to end as you looked at it where you put these markers on each track that's where it would loop from mm. so if i so so right so that's the way you made things sound that so they wouldn't get repetitive so say i had this big say that bit, an ocean sample looping around like the seeds going just waves going in and out it's probably yeah. it's probably shorter than the entire length of the piece right but yeah so i could just put a loop mark at the start a loop mark at the end and it would loop around by itself Mm. as the piece went along it was just doing that it was just staying there by itself looping right so yeah. um, so that would mean that the, it would never be the same twice if I'd done the ocean end to end and it looped round you'd yes. recognise it going back going back right because it was a different length to the entire piece mm. it only loop round in its little in its own little way and make so yeah. you could do that with lots of different things so like the birds and stuff like that you can you can I've made sure that I'd make the if the birds are tweeting in the background I'd, I'd start be a tweet pan it to the left tweet pan it to the right tweet center gotcha. tweet and like that in, inside the mm. little track but it, the whole track itself full of bird tweets would be would be shorter than the entire midi file so it would loop yep. around before them it would always be constantly different yes so that, so that even though you think it would just make a difference it's, a, it's surprising how you start picking up things the same bird tweet at the same point in the song every time mm. and that was a way of ensuring that that would never happen yeah yeah, yeah right yeah. So, so so was that important to create that sense of almost like this is like a reality you know like they kind of these birds not saying doing the same thing twice is pretty much what would happen here on earth yeah, w- yeah. was that was that important to create that sense of authenticity yeah i mean you know i think that rare as a company we were always pushed to go the extra mile it was always there was there was never anything that was too much to do you had you just had to you had to do it right so mm. that was the way it always was so we always tried our utmost to try and be better than everybody else i'm not saying we got there that that was always in our minds and the management certainly pushed us that way that's why Rare Games yeah. was so special in that period of time, that kind of golden age of Rare, because, you know, the, the Stamper Brothers were, were really engaged in the teams, they were sat on the teams a lot of the time. So, mm. you know, it kept us always pushing the envelope to try and make it a bit better than, than ever before kind of thing. So yeah. all that stuff, you know, when you compound it all together, it starts to make a difference. You know, you start, mm. to, you start to go, yeah. oh, it does sound a bit different. Oh, I do recognise that, you know, and it's, it makes it all the better. So, mm. and, also, and also that in those days, you were given, everyone got a game each. So 
I, was, I had Banjo Kazooie and I did the entire thing, all the sound effects, all the music. That was it. That's I mean, mm. Dave Wise did all this stuff. Robin Beeland, Greg, and all great. We all did our own games, right? And we did our, the whole thing was was like that. So, and also also at Rare, which is a bit of a strange thing, every team wrote its own game engine. Like these days, people right. go out and buy Unreal or the CryEngine yeah. or whatever it happens to be, right? Or Unity. Um, you know, but in those days you built your own, right? And it, and sometimes companies would have a company engine that they use, but Rare, being the way they were, was like, no, 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 you're not sharing anything. Everybody's got to do their own their own game engine. So we all wrote our yeah. own game engine, which is ridiculous, really. But right. it, it meant that you wrote the engine that just, just did what you wanted to do. It's no like one size fits all, like say Unreal does lots of things, but maybe some things not so well. But we, mm. wrote, we wrote an engine that did just work for our game and nothing else. So gotcha, all, yeah. all we needed was those bits, not the other bits we didn't need. You know, so mm. probably, it's probably more efficient yeah. like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, all that stuff makes a difference, I think. Another little trick of ambience-wise, like if, if we had something like, uh, let me think, like in the first Inspire Mountain, you've got those vegetables you have to kind of smash, haven't you? And you've got the carrot mm. whatever, jumping up and down. So the boing, yeah. boing, boing noise was never the same twice, right? Because I would say, I would give it like a, you'd, you'd set some parameters, you'd, you'd sort of give it a random pitch. You'd say mm. between 1 and 1.2, pick a value between there. When it's every time the sound effects played, so you'd get a random pitch and you'd learn that if it's too big, it would sound crap. So you'd kind of have a, a tiny little variation because in real life things don't vary that much, you know. Mm. So you'd do that and you'd give it a random, a random, a random space, random, random pitch, all that stuff. Make, make everything as random as possible. So the computer was mm. constantly picking random values for when that carrot jumped up and down, the different boing noise, but it was the same sound effect. You weren't trying, yeah. to use, you weren't using a million sound effects to try and create it. You had one sound effect that just would play at random pitch wherever it jumped up and down. So no one, yeah. no one so, I would, so rather than me putting a lot of sound effects to do that and, and take out some memory, I could use one little sound effect, give it a random value. Mm. Sounds great, right? Like, yeah, for instance, cool. like, like also in Clanker's Cavern, when you, go, when you go and talk to the whale in Clanker's Cavern, it's got that low kind of, whoa, whoa. that's just Banjo's uh, speech samples pitched mm. really low down. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's the whale That's noise. so cool. So you, re, so you reuse samples that are already in the game. So it doesn't take him an extra memory. It's just the same thing. Yep. So, you know, we had to do loads of things, loads of tricks like that to try and reuse the samples over and over again so people mm. wouldn't recognize it, but get around it somehow, you know. Yeah. Um, so, still sticking on ambience, because I think that's really fascinating, The um, even with, with only the limited channels, you know, you still place importance on having some of those real world little moments in like the birds and the ocean and stuff. I remember in, um, in uh, Ocarina of Time, um, there i think it was at night time all the all the music faded out but then a lot of layers of ambience came in there was like yeah. um like the night time there was birds crows and, and frogs and stuff um but then if if you approach an enemy the enemy threat music would come in and then yeah. there are also the sound effects on top so like is that it's uh, sorry for my questions uh, i right now i'm trying to get right. my head around no, but, but i mean like is uh, all the sound effects, all those layers, you've got the ambience, um, you've got the, the threat battle music, and then you've actually got the battle sound effects. Like, did that all have to fit into 16 channels? The MIDI file itself would contain all the instruments and instrument information and, mm. the, and the general ambience, right? Yep. But anything else in the game, all the other sound effects, banjo talking, running up as a separate, we had two banks. We had a sound, we had, in, in, back in, in Banjo-Kazooie, we had one directory full of sound, actual instruments, and ambience that needed to be on that side of it, and a separate directory yeah. full of the general sound effects. So like banjos running up and down, kazooie talking, anything you saw in the game, like anything at all, the hit noises, yeah. gr grunty talking, all the other one-off sound effects were all in a different thing. 
Mm. So that was a different directory. We later com- we combined sure. it later because in the, it, those days we couldn't actually use the sound effects in the sound effects directory in the music. It had to be mm. had to exist in one or the other, and you couldn't cross them. But later in the next game we, we combined it all, so I could use anything. That's why I could use anything at that point. But so yeah, mm. so MIDI file was just for music and ambience, the general yeah. ambience that the kind of the wind blowing, whatever it is. But not sure. yeah, but specific sounds like you want up to a bush and a bird's tweeting, right? That would be a single sound effect firing from the sound effects directory. It would have an mm. area around it that it would you, an area of um, um, like a, you know you draw a, like a linear curve to say you know when you get when you get to five feet from it it's at full volume when you're at fifty feet you can't hear it. Yes, and then, and then the game would dump it. So the game would the game would would cull any sound that, that wasn't actually physically. Like he call it a virtual voice. So a virtual voice is when it's not playing, but it's still there. So we had, yeah, sure. we had it. So any any sound that was was virtually playing would be killed. So it mm. saved memory. wasn't trying to load it. wasn't looking for it. And when it, when you start to get into its into its sphere of existence, at that point the game would go and load it, start to play it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. Cool. I think I'm getting getting the picture. It's cool. So it's almost like working in different banks. The sound effect bank. Yeah. The instrument bank and stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, that that's that's starting to make sense because because I, I, uh, I I read somewhere else that you know that they only had sixteen channels to work with. I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm listening to a lot of this music. Even in banjo, I'm like, this this sounds like way more than sixteen channels for like yeah, it wasn't everything. It's probably, like it's probably less yeah. than that, in fact, because like you got to think in banjo, you know, because you'd have to choose how many channels for a particular area. It's probably like four or mm. five channels that you yeah. hear, hear at any one time because I had to say the rest of the channels for the other crossfades in the other part of the level. Like some levels didn't have, didn't have as many crossfades as others, but so, but Mumbles Mountain had quite a few. It had the the main tree when you walked in, it had the underwater, it had the village on the hill, it had the bit where you went to Conga, the the big gorilla. So there was yeah that, yeah that, in that, the tree yeah. Yep. So there's a, there's a few sign, a few fades you know there straight away you know. Um, mm. So, so and the, was, and was there the, was go, yeah oh, sorry no on, sorry. Uh, was it is there was there any risk of overload like it, it's probably something that you kind of uh, like capped um, throughout the process, but were, were there any moments of like just too many sounds happening and would that affect the the system somehow yeah so like we we capped the we allowed ourselves i think it was was it 32 or 16 i forget but we we could play so many notes at once you're allowed to have i mean i think it maybe it was maybe 16 notes at once mm. so and like what you don't realize is when you're playing along at a keyboard right the note you played before might just just have a tick over into the next note right because mm. you're just physically playing it but you would never yep. hear it but that would double up the note count for that for that beat, right? Mm. So we could never have any notes that overlapped. Ever. Yeah, right. So like that takes so like that's a bit, that takes away a little bit of the kind of nice sound because when you play music, right, mm. things just naturally overlap, reverb, whatever it is, or the way you play it. So you get that kind of natural thing. But we couldn't do that because you you would lose that you'd have, you'd lose a note at that point. So mm. we had to make sure that none of the notes went only went straight up to the next note, but didn't go, didn't go over it. Yes, anything, right, right. right. So we to make a MIDI files completely like that. So to, tr- to try and get, that meant we could play more notes because mm. we, we had a 16 note limit at any one point, any one point in the MIDI file, at any time, any time, there can never be more than 16 notes playing at any once. So yep. we had to make sure that nothing overlapped. That was another pain mm. in the ass because at first we didn't think about that. It was like, oh, we used to holding notes over, over other notes. And then no, no, if you do that, you're going to lose a note there. You've yep. got to get yep. rid of that. You've got to make sure nothing, nothing overlaps. So that was another huge learning curve to go all right we've got to make everything just touch but not go over yeah far out. jeez yeah i feel like that's 
you know, the bread and butter of a lot of writers is being able to kind of bleed notes together yeah. and, and stuff. None oh, of that. Man. None of that. Yeah. Um, cool. Th- thanks. Thanks for that. Like going, going back to more like creative stuff now, going into banjo, like what was the brief that you were given? Like what was the, what was the direction you were kind of pointed in? Well, we were working on that game called Dream before that, right? And that was like an RPG yeah. sort of thing. And then it, then it switched to banjo. So I'd written sort of RPG, Zelda type music, really. And then it was like, right, it's a platform game now. Grant, off you go. I was like, oh, needs to be jolly, you know, Mario 64. Because, you know, that's a, that was the game we were trying to beat, Mario 64, because that was the game at the yeah. time. So um, I remember um, I wrote, um, I actually wrote the Click Clock Woods theme first. That that one, right? I'm just yeah. try, I was just trying to write something. It wasn't for the Click of Woods. We had no levels at that point. I was just trying to write something jolly that I could think would be a platform tune. That's what I tried yeah. to do. And then I never, then I, and then I left it, right? I did that, played it to t- Tim and Greg, and the, the Tim, uh, Greg Mails and Tim Sampson said, oh yeah, that's great. That's the kind of style we like. On you go, you know, like that. So then I kept it. And then it wasn't until I got to, to the uh, Click of Woods, I thought, oh, that tune could probably fit in there. Mm. And that's why it's slightly not in the kind of banjo style. Banjo had that very kind of oddball-y, you know, quirky, tritone-y, yeah. umpire style, right? And that, mm. and the, you know, the tunes that are, so that Click of Woods tune isn't really in that vein mm. because I'd written it way before the game was really started and just kept it right. I thought it fitted right. That's why it's a bit different to the rest of the, rest of the levels. Gotcha, but then I, okay. but then I, so I had that kind of thing where I, I knew I couldn't write in that kind of Nintendo poppy jazz style because I'm just crap at it and it would be, I'd be bad at it, right? So I thought there's no point in doing that. I thought I need yeah. to find, try and find a sign that, that's different, something that makes it, it suits the game and not just me trying to write a jolly tune, right? So I stumbled across that kind of tritone umpire thing so from like listening to that Danny Elfman Beetlejuice soundtrack. That's got a bit of that in it. And that kind of mm. went, oh, that kind of little, a little, a little bulb above my head at that part. Oh, I could, that could be, could work in banjo, that kind of style. Um, yeah. And I kind of also, I was kind of, at the time I was looking for a way to do Man Monster Mansion um, because uh, I wanted to use dark harmony, but I didn't want to, you don't want to scare the kids, right? So, sure. yeah, so, I, but I worked out that Dan, like Danny Elfman, Danny Elfman's got quite dark harmony because it's got umpa, 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 umpa. It's got that kind of, quirky beat to it it sounds yeah. comical but the harmony is dark so i could write gotcha. super dark harmony and mm. but, the, but no one would get scared by it because you know the, you know and, it's still and, quite and, light, and, yeah. and, that kind of poker feel, feel right so so i kind of got that from danny elfman and i actually had written two different tunes for mumbo's mountain and treasure Trove's cove and chris stamper the other boss uh tim stamper's brother said look you know i'll tell you what i think the other tunes because i started to get into that kind of more quirky thing later as i wrote the said, yeah, i think the, the other style's great you need to change those two melodies. I had to rewrite the first two levels again, quite close to the end. And and mm. I mean, I think Treasure Trove's Crow is not so much like that, but Mumbo's Mountain definitely has got that quirky sound to it. So that came mm. quite late. But yeah, yeah, so I think, you know, it just, I was trying to find, a, you know, like, you know, you do your best right. I had no idea we'd, people were still talking about it 20 years later. I, I thought, give it six months, people forget about it because games last six yeah. months if you're lucky, right? You know, the mm. fact that people are still going about the Banjo Kazoo soundtrack to this day, I can't believe it. I mean, it's, it's hugely humbling and very, you know, mm. I can't. I, you know, I did. I did one thing right, right? <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so yeah. Uh, yeah. So like that well, was just one of those things. Because I think people always think you have this kind of massive preconception of uh, how to. You get this great huge epiphany, you know, and it was all going to be. It, it isn't like that. You just kind of you muck around and, until something sounds right, and it, well, that's all right. I don't know. Let's see what happens next. It's a bit like that, you know. It's not like it's yeah. some kind of great huge blinding flash of light, and it's all like that, you know. You just mess around yeah. until it sounds good. Or well, I did anyway. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'll, uh, I want to come back to what you just said about you know like being humbled and stuff. I'll come back to that at the end. But um, with uh, with like the main hub worlds of of banjo had that teddy bear's picnic right. um, kind of little melody. Was that um, 
but it was different enough to, to kind of make it its own thing. Was that a problem kind of like, uh, like was, was it copyrighted to actually do the full melody of Teddy Bears or? Well, I get asked about that a lot, right? And like, you know, I really, I really honestly, hand on heart, can't remember if I, if that was on my mind when I did it. I just, yeah. you know, I, I'm not, I, it, maybe it was, I just, I, I just really can't remember it. But you know, it's in a minor key to the West Picnic's in a major key, right? So, mm. you know, it's different. Um, and I just wanted that kind of kooky feel for the witch, mm. right? You know, and it just seemed to fit that kind of six, eight, dum, 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 A bit like Adam's yeah. family, a bit like Adam's, that kind of sound, you know. So it just seemed to fit at that time. I, I guess, I mean, it is very reminiscent. Like, I know it is, but I really honestly can't remember that's in my mind or not. But like, right, you know, right. it, but in the hub world, because it was so big, I couldn't just use one MIDI file to get, because when you wander towards the area to the next level you're going to go to, Grunty's theme would fade to use the instruments of the level you go into, but still play the Grunty's theme tune, right? So it would fade to mm-hmm. the instruments in Treasure Trove of Cove or fade to the instruments in Mumbo's Mountain. And of course, because there were so many of these levels to go to, I, we, we had to keep re- reusing a new MIDI file. So often you would go through a place and it would just keep going. And you'd, yeah. But sometimes it would restart when you had a black screen. So we just, I couldn't possibly fit all the channel fades in for every yeah. entrance to every world into one MIDI file. So it restarts every now and then. Right, okay. Right. Yeah, of course. There's there's so many different worlds and different instruments for those sections. Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, so so you would you would get around that by kind of fading to black and then fade the music out and then kind of start it again in yeah. a new area? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So, like, if I'd get away with it as long as I could. So mm. I knew that the main grunty theme required, let's say, five tra- five channels, and I could use the remaining uh, 11 to, uh, you know, to use for, for fades to other worlds. But at some point, you're mm. going to run out. So, you know, you got, so yep. I maybe get like two, three worlds out of the remaining tracks and we'll start the mini file again when you got past that to the next bit. And that would have yep. a new yep. set of fades in it. Mm. Yeah, it's it felt like um, the Teddy Bears picnic was just super intentional because it just fits so well. And obviously Banjo is a bear. I thought, I thought it was it. Yeah, you know, it probably was. I just really can't remember. <laughs> but I, know, yeah, I, sure, I, sure. I get asked that a lot and I guess it must have been. I guess it must have oh, been in my right. mind, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so bringing it back to back around to um, what it's like, almost oh over twenty. I oh don't know. Banjo dropped in uh, in ninety eight. Um, yeah, so that was a ni- ni- yeah ninety seven. Was it? I can't. I can't remember. Oh, okay. Was it? Um, no, I can't remember. So I you're, you're probably all, right. I can't remember. It's pretty much. Tw- it's pretty much twenty year. Yeah. Twenty year anniversary. Mm. No, it was last year. Oh, I forget. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and again, like look doing a lot of research before this interview found a lot of comments on youtube of like this is the sound of my childhood you know like stuff from from back then does that um does that pressure you you know going into stuff like ukulele does that kind of stay in the back of your mind when it comes to creating something knowing that you know there's there's an expectation now or or something like does that does that kind of play um into your creative process does that hinder you at all no, I think you just do your best, right? And I'm not—I'm not a very clever composer. I'm not—I'm 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 not got great intellect, so I don't think I'm clever enough to give out that. I just kind of right. bumble along, hope for the best, you know. So I think sure. that you know, I think that um, you know, it's—it's it's hugely gratifying that people still like that from years gone by. But but mm. something that that you know I picked up on maybe you know in the last few years certainly that I think that if you are somehow part of someone's childhood in a certain amount, in a certain age group, right? It's like five to 12, something like that, or maybe slightly mm. later. Like you never forget those tunes as long as you live right. Like when I, I can remember yeah. when I was a kid, like Thunderbirds and all that stuff that I used to love, Scooby-Doo, all the cartoons that I used to watch, like there's no games in, right? Like, you know, yeah. like I remember those tunes and the words to those, to those theme tunes right now, I could, do, I could do them all, right? You know what I mean? So I think that you learn that in a certain part of our, our development, 
you never forget that stuff. Like Bob the Builder for some mm. kids will be the biggest thing that remember it to the day they die, right? And I remember yeah. Thunderbirds to the day I die, Stingray, or all those great Jerry Anderson stuff, you know, or UFO, or one of those mm. one of those great things I used to watch as a kid, you know. So it, it, I started to realise that um, the kids that, that liked Banjo-Kazooie that were of a certain age, they're never going to forget it forever. Mm. Like, you know, and it's, it, you know, it's like, that's, it's amazing for me to think that I could be a tiny part of someone's remembering what, you know, I mean, you know, I do get the occasional email from people that, that are really sad, you know, where the, the, the parent had cancer and they remember sitting playing Banjo-Kazooie mm. with the mum sat there, you know, and it's, it, you know, and like, that's a massive memory for them. And, it, you know, when, mm. they, when they play the game or hear the music, it brings it all back and it's a, it's a happy time they remember before the, the parent died. I mean, you know, I've had, you know, quite a lot of emails like that, you know, and like, you mm. think, you know, God, it's like, that is a pressure. And you do think, yeah, but it's nice to be part of that. Like, I'm so glad that some stupid tune that I wrote 20 years ago makes some kid remember a great time with his mother and father when, when they're yeah. very ill or dying, perhaps, you know. You know, it's a, it's a lovely thing. You know, you, you, know, you, you remember, that, that's one part about being an artist of any nature is that, you know, a writer, photographer, whatever you want to be, you know, filmmaker like you, anything like that. Like, you know, you, just for one person to like something that came out of your head is amazing, right? Mm. Now you made that thing in your head and you put it, you made a movie or you wrote it down or whatever it was, took a picture. And if, just, if that one person in the world gets what you're thinking, that is like, that's astonishingly, that's just fantastic, right? You know, mm. and that, for me, that never gets tired. I never get sick of hearing that. Like, I just, yeah. you know, and the, you know, there's, there's equally people that, that play the game and hated it and can't get the bloody music out of the head because they hated it so much. So it works both ways, right? You know, yeah. but there is, there are those things you go, oh my God, that is, it's so special to be given that chance to just create something that at the time meant something great to that one person. It's, it's amazing. Mm. Yeah. It has such a, such a widespread as well, it's, it's especially Banjo. Cause I think Banjo was, it was, um, at least for me, it was kind of the, my introduction to like, whoa, we can do like really big games, like big adventure games now. And it had all these different worlds and different melodies and, it just because uh, I was a, I was a PlayStation kid, right? Um, so I had like Crash Bandicoot, right? And um, and where was a bit more linear, you know? Like um, so I ended up being good friends with Josh Mansell, the the, the composer for Crash. All right, he's a legend. Um, and uh, so so that was a cool little kind of roundabout moment of like you know my childhood and then Crash. That was yeah. Cool. Um, but uh, but but yeah, like Banjo was like, whoa, this is just super open, and we can kind of go in any direction, and um. And I think, yeah, the, the way you kind of approach music for different sections was just made it feel more open. And I think, yeah, Banjo really stuck with me as like, a, this, this is the next level. You know, it was just, it was just really cool. Um, yeah, sweet. I'm just going to refer to my questions because I'm kind of going off on a really it's all right. emotional mind. tangent. All right. <laughs> um, so, th- I mean, that was, that was pretty much it. Like, I, I guess when going back to composing was, were there any like, um, do you remember any specific hurdles when writing a tune or anything that kind of stands out as as something that you couldn't solve um instantly they had to kind of create creative workarounds for we've kind of talked a bit a bit about that like yeah, you I, can't bleed notes into another but yeah like i can't think of anything, anything specific like that really that really hindered it because mm. by that point you know we're up but after goldeneye we're all pretty much sussed out how the n64 worked and yeah. you know there was I mean, it's a slight thing. Like when you got the N64, uh, the code, Nintendo provided. I think it was two reverbs that they that they gave you. There's that kind of that kind of uh, in Mario 64, that kind of bathroom, quite quick delay reverb that mm. they used in the whole game, and that was basically all we had, really. I think, and we didn't like it. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, um, to fix the reverb 
or to alter it. All there was was a, like a, a table of numbers, coefficients and all that. We were like, we don't know what this means, right? So, you know, we had no idea. And we couldn't get any programmer time to, fit, to sort it out because they were too busy. So, yeah. me, so Graham Norgate and me sat down one day and just literally changed numbers at random in this big table of numbers. Like it was literally like, you know, we had no idea what we were doing. Just like, that's yeah. a four, make it a six. That's a 15, make it a 45. Just did that for like a few hours. <laughs> and we came up with this reverb at the end of it that we, we thought sounded quite good, but it distorted. Yeah. Um, but we couldn't get rid of this distortion. So that was a reverb mm. that, was, that was in all the, all the rare games until about close to the end when a programmer finally looked at it and said, oh, actually, this number's one out and put it right and it was perfect. Um, oh, like, no way. Yeah, but like, so that we have, that's the reverb that we're using in all the games. Um, wow, just okay. Me- messed about with it until we thought it sounded better than the bathroom one we didn't like. Um, yeah right you know right, so okay. you know I think that some in some respects it was a bit like the Wild West you know you were like you know you will go in a lot of time you just couldn't get programmer time you know mm. getting an audio program was like gold dust right so we did have a gold, an audio program when we first started in 64 but a lot of the times that guy would prove to be good he'd get whisked off to another team and we'd lose the audio program it happened to us loads of times as an audio team you know we'd, we'd get we'd never the guy get whisked away and we'd be left with mm. no one again. So you had to try and beg for programmer time to try and get audio stuff fixed. And oftentimes they just, well, they just couldn't do it because they're busy with other stuff. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, it was that bit like, let's just try and mess with it ourselves and see what we come up with, you know, and all that. You just learn mm. little bits and pieces. And, you know, I mean, it's funny looking back on it now when I think what I do now, it's nothing like that. You know, it's like, yeah, there was none of that techie stuff involved in it, you know, and I think that mm. people sometimes get a bit spoiled these days because you haven't got to get your hands dirty quite as much. You've got a big list of presets and all, you know, you got you can get into these big engines like Unreal, it's a lot, lot of that stuff's already there for you, you know. Um, well, we had to kind of funny about with it until it sounded, you know, bearable. You know, like mm. like the speech in Banjo-Kazooie, trying to get the speech to work right. That was, you know, everyone, uh, you know, when I first went for the, for the first meeting for Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle in, in the guys in Paris, they were talking about, oh, the speech in Banjo-Kazooie, it's iconic. It's iconic, that kind of speech. You know, and I, and I was like, you're kidding me, right? We all thought it was completely shite. You know, we, you know, <laughs> you know, it was just that we did it that way because we had no other choice. We, we had not enough space for, for full for full speech. No way near the memory space. Mm. We had to work out a way to make it sound, you know, slightly bearable. You know, and it was mm. pretty. It was pretty. It got on your tits a lot of that stuff, right? You know, but like yeah. people laugh laugh at it now and think it's iconic. But at the time we're like, oh my god, this is dreadful. But it's the best we can do. You know, it's like just had to. Yeah. That was one of those things you just to mess around and just say, oh, it's just the best I'm going to do. This is as good as it's going to get. That's it, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, was it... Because I think the sound for Banjo got an award that year. Uh, yeah, I think it did, for, probably. I mean, you know, bizarre yeah, enough, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was just, just looking through, like, the awards Banjo won, and I think the sound, um, you know, it was, it was praised for the, yeah, for the speech. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think it got an award for, for the sound. Yeah, po- yeah possible. I think, I, think yeah. I think because of that, but... Um, oh yes, uh, approaching sounds um, back then. Were there any available, like already available stuff that that you had to work with? Like, was there like a um, like a library that you kind of had readily available that you could just kind of use stuff from there, or, or did you build everything from scratch? Like, what was it like? Yeah, so like you know, I, I would you know, my two main synths at the time were the, the Roland JB1080 and the Emu Proteus FX. They were two rack mount synths we had at the time. We we, we all had one each, uh, and so I would sample the sounds out of there using an old Ensonic sample that I think it could hold like maybe like five seconds of memory. That was like, it's, you know, that was a big deal. Then like, oh, I, can, I, can, I can sample five seconds, you know, you probably sample five hours now, you know what I mean? 50 hours probably. So like, yeah, so I'd sample that. I'd play my single note trumpet into the Ensonic sampler and then, mm. and then get it onto a floppy disk, a floppy disk out of there on a floppy disk, get it out of yep. there, put it to my PC, <laughs> get the sample, get it into a software where I can loop it. 
add, and then re- resample it to really low, add some EQ, and then bung it into the N64 like that. So the, the, all, the, mm. all the instruments came from those synths. I mean, just about exclusively, I'd said. And the, but the sound effects. Um, so you know, you can you can buy you know sound effects CDs like just, just like the way you can now. But you could buy them back then. So we had a huge, mm. great, we had a big library full of sound effects CDs. But um, unfortunately, the only way you could find out we'd great big books that were like telephone directories and you'd have to go through it page by page and look at footstep 42 concrete I ah. might like that you have to track down the cd you'd get it off the person the other person's got it get it into your room get it in a cd player get the index inside because you, know, you could get cd players that have index numbers inside the actual track so you'd find yeah. you'd find sound effect 46 concrete and go oh, i don't like it and you go look you go back to the book page three right Sound effect 49 is another concrete. Right, I'll go and find that CD, get it back in your CD player, record, sample it into your Ensonic on a floppy mm. disk, back into your PC, edit it in the game. It was a massively slow process, right? Like, so, Jeez. yeah, I mean, later we got us, we actually got a sound effect search engine. So it was like all the CDs were put onto the server and, mm. and, like, and they would be tagged by name and we'd get a bit of software. It's like a search, but you could type in fart it would, it would load up all the fart samples that are on the entire side of its library we've got off the server onto your computer you can click through them and play them as you go so that was super yeah. fast right the one you like double click it would save it to your hard drive right and that's that's how you do it but that was much later yeah. at the start it was all about finding the cd somebody mm-hmm. had it you ring around other other sound guys you got sound effects you got sound ideas yeah six thousand series sound effect 44 no, have you got it no you'd ring around that took you 20 <laughs> minutes the guy you'd go to the other building get the cd off him you know, it was, it was, you know, it's hugely slow. So, but, you know, for things like footsteps and sea and waterfalls, things you couldn't create yourself, you'd go to the sound effects libraries. But mm. I, I tell a lie, banjo's sound effect, banjo's footsteps, I made those myself. I, I, I just tapped my feet on the ground and recorded myself. That they're my, they're my footsteps. But you know, yep. thing, things that you couldn't create, like the voice samples or something weird that you couldn't find. You know, in sound effects CDs, you can find your kind of bread and butter. You know, you can find mm. the footsteps or coughs or whatever you want all that it's all there mm. but you want something specific that you, that you newly need you probably got to make it yourself something that gives the game its own identity almost yeah or just like Ban- just, you know, banjo's talking voice had to be mm. from the guy that did the sound effects there was no way chris sutherland did the voice for banjo we had to we had to, you had to use him we had to record him you know kind of thing the dk mm. rap that all the guys rapping in that had to be from the you know it's the same thing you had to have you had to have the real people doing it you know but other sound effects you just couldn't make you couldn't find anywhere you know, if you, mm. like, you know, you'd probably find a good jet engine because I couldn't go out the, out to the car park and record a jet engine because there wasn't a jet in the car park, right? But, you know, yeah. you know, so you find that on a CD. But other, yeah. th- other things that you can make yourself, you do it yourself, it gives it more personal touch, you know, so. Uh, working, off a, working off a library, was there risk of, of other games um, using, using the same stuff? Like, have you had any experiences of, of other games um, playing a sound effect that was in band or, or any of your games? Like, was there any risk of crossover? Yeah, of course, because anybody can buy the CDs, right? So, like, mm. you know, it could happen. Like, there's a, there's a particular, there's an alert noise in Banjo. It goes, map, 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 map. It was in Banjo. It was in Banjo Tui. I've heard that in yeah. a million TV shows. I mean, literally, every TV show seems to choose that, that's that, that alert noise. Uh, and mm. it's, it's all over the place. Also, um, I got quite good at recognizing fart samples because we had quite a lot of farts in Banjo because, you know, because <laughs> that's British humor, right? British humor is yeah. entirely based on farts. Um, yeah. So, like, uh, yeah, I'd recognize, I'd, I'd hear, you know, farts in movies and go, oh, yeah, I used that one for Banjo. I mean, I heard, I've heard this, the fart noises so many times. It's ridiculous. So, you know, yeah. and like, you know, some gunshot ricochets were used in, in James, in, the, in GoldenEye. We'd, we, you started to recognize gunshots and gunshot ricochets. 
oh, that's Ricochet 45, yeah. you rec- you'd recognise it, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, you, you, you do get that. But, like, you know, nobody, nobody in the public would ever recognise that. Mm. Unless, they were, unless they particularly paid attention. It's only because Sam yeah, dies. Yeah. Only because I played the fart, I, I used that fart sample a million times, right? And I heard it a million yeah. times when I built in the game that I recognise it. I might have recognised yeah. it, you know. So I think that stuff doesn't bother me, really. It's like, you do hear things all over the place like that. It's just the way it yeah. is, right? No one, no one really knows that, I think. Yeah. Were you on, were you on, on Conquer? That's no, that, that was Robin, Robin Bean like he did that one. Okay, right. <laughs> just, just the first thing that came to, to mind with farts was, um, yeah. it was just how much farting there was in, in Conquer. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is great information. Thank you so much for letting me pick your brain about this. No, don't mind. It's great. That's, that's most of my questions. I, I got a few questions from, um, from a few guys on Twitter. I did a shout. I was like, hey, I'm interviewing Grant. Yeah. Does anyone have any questions? Okay. If you, if you don't mind answering a few. Of course not. One of them was was regarding the um, like different filters and stuff. And you mentioned, uh, was it Clanker? The, 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 the whale. shark? The whale. Like, it's a whale. Yeah. It's a huge whale. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, like reusing banjo sounds. Were there any other like uh, specific little moments like that we had to reuse um, like really random sound effects to get other sounds? Can't really think of anything off the top of my head. That was the main one that kind of you know that did that with it. But all over the mm. place, you'd, you, you, we would reuse stuff. I just can't. I mean, I just can't remember. But I mean, you know, you'd find a sample that sounded that would be sound different lower down or higher up. So you'd constantly yep. play with the pitch because that, as I say, it would save memory. You, the sample's already in there. Doesn't take any more memory to to do that. So you'd do that a lot of the times. And I know Robin mm. got um, some filters going on Conquer, so I think that is had a distortion going. And I think mm. also a low pass filter, they had that working on this. But that was a big deal to get a low pass filter. It was like, oh my God, this is, this is like, you know, this is like science. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, know, yep. you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah there's stuff going on Conquer, but I don't think we, on Banjo, we ever did that. Our big thing with Banjo mm. was with the big channel fade thing. That was our big thing that we, we really wanted to get to work properly. Um, and that yeah. you know, worked great. Um, but I mean, I think like, it's, you know, I just can't remember. It's a long time ago. I mean, I know I used the yeah, yeah, stuff sure. over and over again, but, um, you know, <laughs> you can't, I, can't rem- I can't remember now. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, someone asked, did Grant really intentionally destroy all those recordings of the times he played with Game Grumps? <laughs> Tell them that. I, I, I don't know. What's that? What's that? I don't know what that's about. I only ever did that one thing with Game Grumps. Yeah, I only right, okay. did that one interview. That sounds yeah. like a weird thing. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, yeah no, I did that one. Yeah, because I knew John Tron, and so he invited me over, and we did that little latch. And I sort of said, you know, what wasn't my intention to be on the show, really. They just, they, mm. just John said, you know, I wanted to meet him and Aaron because they'd said some nice things about my music over the years. And I, I was lived in LA. I said, you know, I was close. I said, you know, why don't we meet up and just say hello and have a drink and all that. And and John said, well, why don't you come on the show? I was like, well, I'm not very funny. You know, I don't think it'd be very funny, really. You know, like that. <laughs> and then, of course, it just turns into this gigantic thing about me talking about my bollocks and all the rest of it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Slightly unfortunate. But I, I, that kind of took me the internet. That, that, that gave it the lesson of like the internet's forever. Like, and now I know yeah. that. Like, you know, <laughs> like my kids are getting older. My kids start to find that now. It's like, oh, you know. Oh, no. You know, we shouldn't have said that, really. But there you go, you know. It's, it's difficult to forget the past when, it's, <laughs> when the internet is so prominent now. Yeah. Um, uh, one, another question is um, what's more important for game music creating good memorable memorable melodies or creating an emotional harmonic atmosphere I think we've kind of already touched on that yeah I think I think you know when the shoe fits wear it right I think it depends what you're doing right you know I think that some points I like I, for me that's that light motif thing right that Wagner thing where you know Wagner is supposed to invent light motif where you know you'd have a big theme in the opera and that you'd hear it once and then when the guy came on stage you'd hear five notes from that tune you know it was him. Mm-hmm. That's light motive, right? So, like, you know, yeah. Harry Potter. If you hear da 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 da, da you're done, right? You don't, don't hear anymore. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. You know it's him, right? So for me, I, I think da 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 da. That's it, right? So I'm a big fan of that. 
and I like to write yeah. tunes. And I, but I equally admit that you don't want to have wall to wall melody because it'd get, it'd get boring, right? So I think yeah. it's a time and place for everything. But right now, it seems to be it's all ambience, no no tunes right now, which I don't like. Mm, yeah, cool. Um, and who has been your favorite YouTuber to work with, get to know uh, within the gaming scene? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, John and Aaron are good guys. Uh, you know, mm. and I know Susie, the uh, Aaron's wife, she's really great. Um, but also uh, Gerard Khalil, you know, the completionist. Um, yeah. You know, me and Gerard have become very good friends over the years. We've kind of met at a con in, uh, was it Canada? I think we met at Con Bravo in Canada. And we were mm. friends from the, you know, we hit it off straight away. And I've, I've been down to his studio a few times and we're great friends. So definitely Gerard. Um, he's, a, he's a great guy. And I, I really like what he mm. does. He's a funny guy and he's really genuine. Um, yeah. So he's, he, and you know, and Alex, you know, the guy who does the um, the Pokemon thing with him as well. He's great as well. So I like, yeah. I like, I like those two guys. They're great. Trying to think, who else? Who else do I know? It was that's that's cool. I was in uh, I was in LA. Um, uh, when was it? I think it was March last year. Right. And um, and, and met up with Gerard. And right. Ended up doing a bit of a like a short documentary on. On, on his whole story so it was really cool to meet him so yeah we, we kind of became good friends as well yeah I like Gerard a lot that's, that's really cool yeah Gerard's a really nice guy and he, you know mm. he, he's he's kind of he, he always makes out like he's he's just trying and trying and trying but he's just doing so well you know and like I think that he's just, <laughs> he's just got that complete motivation to start from absolute scratch like he did like I think like a lot yeah. of those YouTube guys like I, I love people who who make something out of nothing I love that thing yeah like I know when the, when the, when the Rare Brothers set up Rare they, everyone said they were nuts, right? Were you going to do video games in the eighties, whatever it was? They're like you're crazy, and they had nothing, mm. right? Nothing at all, and they worked their absolute balls off to get to where they did. You know, mm. never spent Christmas with the families. It was always work, 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 and they, and they built this massive, great company called Rare, which made millions of dollars, right? You know, and mm. I just I love that. Like the Game Grumps are the same thing. They they've got this brand now that's amazing. Like everyone in the world knows Jeez. who the Game Grumps are. You know, it's mm. fan, it's fantastic. And Gerard Lightly with the completionist, it's great to you know to just go tell you what. We're going to do this. I don't give a shit whether you like it or not. I'm going to do it my way. This is how it's going to be. If people like it, great. If they don't, tough. And I love that. Mm. It's, I love that. To yeah. get, to, and to make yeah. something out of nothing. I love those guys for doing that. It's brilliant. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I really like Gerard. He's, he's, he just felt super genuine and really welcoming as well. Like, we'd never met him before. We kind of talked on, online. And he was just like, yeah, man, come on into the office. Mm. And should be around. It was really cool. Yeah, I like him a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, so... I mean, that's pretty much it. I guess I've got two more questions. Um, one going back to the sound effects, just so I've got a clear picture. But we're talking about music having only 16 channels, but were there, was, was there a limit to how many sound effects could be played um, at one time? Yeah, probably. A, there would have been a voice count. I just can't think what it was. Um, it might have been 16 notes and 16 sound effects. It might have been something right. like that together. I just I can't remember that. But there was definitely a voice count. Things would start to cancel out. Mm. So at that point, you sometimes have a, have a little kind of a bit of program running where it prioritizes things. It'll say the sound that's furthest away. Say you've got a stack of sounds, right? You need to get rid of something because too many sounds playing. You'd say mm. the sound that's furthest away, that's the least volume, dunk that one. And you do that progressively till you got to the count you needed to be at. So it would be an automatic sound calling where it would, it would say that thing. It'd say, right. So you play, you've got like five, five, six, seven things really close to you that you need to hear. If there's maybe five or six things that are playing further away, you can't really hear. You just dump those mm. based based on how far away they are and the volume they were playing at. So if they're playing yep. really quiet, you can't hear them. Dump it. You're not going to notice it. So it was like it was automatic. Mm. Well, was that a um, was that uh, was that frustrating? Like the idea of kind of be, having to dump sounds when you, you did you want like a if you wanted to have that complete full kind of setup, um, was that frustrating when you had to? You had to cut them out or were there workarounds? No, not really, because I think that you do realise that, you know, I think when you first start doing sound like that, like, you think you need to hear, hear everything all the time and you really don't. 
Like, you know, mm. when you see Hollywood mixing guys, you know, mixing movies, they're very selective about what you hear at any one time. They've, it's very fluid. You know, they, that'll come to focus. That'll be out of, that'll come in like that, you know, like doing movie stuff. So it's the same in mm. games. So you do know that being selective, because you're like, you've got, you know, you know, zero dB is as loud as it goes. After that, it distorts. That's it, right? That's your digital top. No matter, you go over that, it doesn't matter. It's going to distort no matter what. That's your absolute mm. maximum. So nothing can get, you can't, so the more sounds you have at any one time, the more, you're going to be banging against it too many times. So you be selective, you know? If you think about, if you watch a Star Wars film, you know, you'll, as, a, as a spacecraft comes in, that'll be the dominant sound and the mm. rest of it might fade away, but you won't even notice it because that's the sound you're, you're focusing on, right? So it's very, it, it's very, you have to be, you know, it's, there's a lot, of, um, a lot of manipulation you can do like on that kind of stuff to make sure the yeah. right thing's right at the right time. So, and something that's a little bit further away from you, even though you think you should be hearing it, you probably shouldn't. Yeah, you don't, you don't, yeah you, cool. don't, you don't need to hear the footsteps on that guy that's 15 feet away. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a sound that's quite, you're not going to hear it, it's not that prevalent in the, in the first mm. place. You can drop yep. it easily. And footsteps usually are, are really good, they are, are, can be a culprit a lot of times because, you know, people make a lot of footsteps. So the guy's jumping up and down a bit, it's a lot of, a lot of plain sounds at any one time, you know, you know what I mean? So a lot of time you can dump the footsteps, not notice it and save loads of channels. Mm. So, you know, there's, there's, it's, you, can, you know, you have to be, that's, you, you, I mean, like you played the game, right? You didn't notice it, you didn't notice it being empty, did you? You know yeah, I mean? no, absolutely. Yeah, so that's how it works, right? It's, it's surprising cool. what the brain picks up on, you know. Mm, yep. Great. And uh, and last question is kind of a two-parter. Um, going into the uh, the Mario Rabbids um, thing, what, what was the what was the brief for that? And um, are there is there anything to to listen out for specifically? Are there any little secrets or anything? That was that was amazing, right? Like you know you know to get to work with Mario my god that that it's like his video game royalty right so yeah but it was a bit weird when they first they first contacted me in like November of 2014 and I got an email through LinkedIn from the producer there called Gianmarco Zana <laughs> no way LinkedIn yeah he said to me by the way Grant we've got a game we think you might be a good fit for are you interested and I was like yeah of course I am yeah you know I did, Ubisoft Milan I thought you know it's, it could be fun but I don't know what it was mm. and you signed the NDA you know the thing that you see you can't talk about it and then they yep. said, oh, yeah, it's, it's called RKB Rabbids Kingdom Battle. I was like, oh, it's a Rabbids game. And I like the Rabbids. They were funny things. My kids watch the cartoons. They're really funny, you know. Yeah. Oh, and then Rayman thought, it's a, bit, it's a really good laugh, you know. Uh, and so they both want to fly you out to meet with the team. Because the team's in Milan and the Paris Steelers doing it together, we'll fly out to Paris. Milan, Milan will fly to Paris. We'll all meet there. I thought, fair enough. So it took a little while to get the contract sorted out because they, they initially contracted me to do like 15 minutes of music. Uh, mm. Initial contract was like that, and just, you know, to kind of see how, how, it, how it went. Because I think they were, I didn't know, but they were still pictured to Nintendo. I didn't know at that time. I was like, I don't know. What you ah, know. I didn't know. What okay, it was. right. So uh, flew out to I flew out like in maybe April. Took a little time to get that sorted out. And I got there, and I was escorted back of the studio through lots of security doors and the big. And I thought it's a bit secretive for a Rabbids game, you know, because Rabbids is well known. Through another door, and then to a, a door at the side of the studio with two sound guys, Remain Brio and Isabel Ballet. And David Soliani, who's the the creative director, sat sat down and said, "Yeah, so I better show you the game, right?" So, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, loved it. So he turned the TV, and then Mario stood there, and I was thinking, "Oh, you know, they probably played Mario before I got there. They're just messing around, you know." And he started to move Mario around. I was like, "Hang on a minute, what, what's what's that?" He said, "Yeah, it's a Mario game. Did no one tell you?" I said, "No." <laughs> like, don't you think that's quite an important detail to come <laughs> to, to tell me? Oh yeah, it's Mario. That's... Yeah, is that all right? I was like, "Uh, oh." So I shit myself basically. I, I sat there and thought, how the, how the hell am I going to write music for Mario? You know, Koji Kondo yeah. is the greatest video composer in the world, in my opinion. You know, he's written all those amazing tunes for all those amazing years. How on earth mm. am I going to follow in his footsteps and it be any good and not be hated? Yep. You know, I, 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 David, I said, I said, his first hour, he, he sat there really, his face was really pale. He said, I thought it was just jet lag. I said, it wasn't jet lag. It was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? I was kind of nodding, going, yeah, yeah, no trouble thinking, shit. 
I'm gonna they're gonna kill me. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna be hated for the rest of my life. So that's yeah. how, that's how, that's what kicked off. Uh, you know, wow. so that whole thing. But you know, it's that working with Davide and the sound and Remain and and and, the, and all the team in Milan and Paris, is, you know, and all those guys has been really fantastic. I, I really can't mm. stress it enough. Me and Davide have become we're best mates now. I mean, I've. I must. I've talked to him every day for two years. No exaggeration. I mean, I've, been, I've, I've, written, I've written music for that game every single day for two years, and I'm not exaggerating. Wow. Um, wow. You know, there's well over two hours of music in there, maybe two and a half, probably a lot of music in there, um, and it's been so nice because he's been mm. such a, he's such a great book to work for. He knows what he wants. Good, strong direction. No, not. I don't know what I want to. I, want, I don't want to hear it. Kind of thing, which is a, which for composers is dreadful because you could write it for the next fifty years, and not get there. You know. So yeah. all the, and the sound guy's been great, like just absolutely great. The whole thing's been an absolute thing to do, and like to get to that point of, you know, like I got to rearrange uh, the the castle theme from Mario sixty four, which is my favourite Mario game. Oh, and then, you know, wow. you know, and and there's Peach's Castle in RKB, so I got to rearrange that. I could I rearrange it, mix most and mix together my own stuff, you know, and like to do that was just absolutely fun. I was in tears doing it, thinking I can't believe I'm actually getting to write this piece of music using the yeah. Mario the, the castle theme and like. You know, bits bits and pieces all over the place like that. Redoing some of the little stings. Mr. Miyamoto mm. actually specifically asked for, you know, the, the, it going into the pipe noise, like the g g g g g noise when you go into the pipes. He said, why don't you do a rabbit, can you, can you do a rabbit version of that? Like, so Miyamoto, mm. Miyamoto's asking for that. It's like, you know, you, you, I'll do anything you want me, Mr. Miyamoto. You know? <laughs> so I, did, I tried to, I came up with a few little, little versions of that, like use instruments and all that, put it together. He liked it, it's in the game. You know, all that stuff's just like fantastic. And my son would wander past mm. the room and say, you know, I'll be there doing a cinematic sequence and Mario's on the screen with Peach and Luigi and, you know and, and he'd go Dad you, you sat there writing music for those characters you know it's like so it's like cool. video game royalty it's like you know it's oh, a dream the, well, those moments just happened for the entire two years and, it's, yeah. and, it, and it was so nice to me and we got on so well I say we're best friends now it's like you know right. it's just been a really 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 brilliant thing and the E3 thing so I got, when we got to E3 right because you know the game leaked a little bit people were like oh rabbits we hate the rabbits it's going to be terrible it was a bit of a panic but when mm. when the, the you know the Ubisoft press conference and it, 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 it did the whole thing it was like we all just like jumped out of our skin like you know like we all knew that Miyamoto was going to be there but even so we still jumped out of our skin you know yeah. we came on stage and, it, and the reaction was great and the internet went just lit up with like oh my god this is amazing like yeah. you know it was such a it was, it was amazing we just me and David went for a, a sandwich across the road, after, across the street, just after that, and just sort of sat there in silence for like twenty minutes, looking at this kind of, you know, like what just happened. Like it was like that, you know. We're kind of eating our sandwiches, wow. like, not talking, like nodding, you know. So it's, it's been a real whirlwind of amazement that has. Yeah, that was that got such a good response too. I remember watching it live actually. The yeah. um, the, the E three Ubisoft, and yeah. it's just it was a great response. And I think it was one of the guys. Um, Maybe you already mentioned. Um, I forget his name. Davide. Who was Gavin? He was, he was sitting in the audience and he kind of stood up and he was next to me. Like I, it was Davide was there and then the guy and then it was me, right? So when Mr. Yeah. when Mr. Miyamoto said Davide's name, I said, I said Davide, get up, get up! So I pushed him. Oh, up. right. It was me. It was my hand, you see, pushing him up, and uh, right, he was in okay. tears. in tears because it, it meant so much to him, you know, to, for Mr. Miyamoto to because like he'd, Davide had done like a lot of trips to Japan, to Kyoto, to Nintendo to present the game to Mr. Miyamoto a lot of times, and like th those are long eight-hour meetings, very grueling. The translation part back and forth, you know, and, that, and mm. the Nintendo are very meticulous. So he, you know, he he he's his concert. He put he put the entire concert together, like you know, like all that thing was for me for him to finally get there, and for yeah. Mr. Miyamoto to name him and everyone to love it. It was just he just you know he's an Italian, right? He just burst into tears, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was cool. Like we were reflecting with a few friends on on the whole that whole conference, and we're like that just felt like the most genuine 
conference out of out of all of them like that not not bagging on the other ones they've, they've got their own style but like sony and microsoft's just big 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 but this one just felt like well these people are real and, and they really care mm. for their work and yeah that was that was the vibe that we got is really nice yeah i felt um, I, I felt like that i think Ubisoft had a really great conference this year you know and mm. all the games were great and it was just felt and having mario rabbit's first it was so colorful and so bright just blew yeah. up like you know like you know that thing it was just you know, you, you know, you get those kind of moments where it's just, it's just perfect. It was just perfect right at that moment in time. It was just the right game at the right time for, for Ubisoft. And it's, you know, everyone's mm. loving it. Everyone's played it's loving it. Everyone that's kind of gone, I'm not sure, has loved it. It's pretty deep. Yep. It's like the, the strategy is way deeper than you think it is. Like a lot of the guys yeah. have just published, uh, they were embargoed until the 1st of August. So they got a few, a few like pre, they had a few hours with the game. And they flew back to Paris a couple of weeks ago to do some interviews there too. And that talked to all the kind of journalists who were there, you know. Uh, they're all just like we love it we love it we love it it's just it's just the most fun and it is real really good fun and all the rabbits are like minions right they're just stupid and crazy and yeah they make you laugh like rabbit peach is always doing selfies it's just it's just it makes <laughs> it really makes you laugh right it's got proper funny moments in it which are great yeah i can't wait i can't wait for it to drop mm. cool and, and uh, uh yes yeah, so so uh sorry last question Re- regarding the um you just mentioned like the castle theme right did, did, did you have to uh kind of show the, the nintendo guys to make sure it was honoring the the old stuff or were they were they just completely open to no 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 anything, any interpretation anything nintendo that involves their stuff they really really want to know about it so like all the animations have to have to run through nintendo i mean i mean everything right because mm. the very you know mario is their big thing right that's their that's yeah. their big eye that's the that's them right that's that's their company's mario right you know mm. so they're very protective about that but at the same time they said like you know you can take Mario and break him like we can't, like give him a gun. Like Mario couldn't have a gun in, the, in their games, you know. So he's got, yeah. you know, like, so they, were, they said, you know, take him and do something different with him. Don't, we don't want to run in and jump in game like we've got. There's no point doing that. We've got that. Do something different. Mm. You know? So equally with the music, they were the same way. So, you know, for me, it's nerve wracking to think that, in fact, the, the guys in Milan didn't tell me at first that they were running things through Nintendo for the music. I didn't really know they were doing that. They just kept, they said, oh, no, don't worry, it's all fine. But they, they were running things in Nintendo and it's come back all right. They never really told me till the end. Uh, so a couple of times, um, like when I did the, the, the Peach's Castle, uh, uh, the Mario Castle theme, that was fine. But um, I, t- I did some of the little jingles, and everyone goes, da, 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 and game over t- theme, right? So, yeah. so I orchestrated that and with, the, with live orchestra wow. for that, right? And um, I had to work it out by ear. Uh, and I got one of the parts slightly wrong. It was harmonically correct, ah. but they're not. I had it going da 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 instead of like I had it going like da 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 instead of da da da. It was a bit like that. It went the wrong way. Gotcha. And they spotted mm. it. And said, "Oh, and the, Nintendo super polite, right? Like you know, sounds great, but w- would you mind just uh, correcting this part?" And they sent me the manuscript of the music for that like that little wow. sting. And I was like, "This going, this has come from Nintendo." <laughs> The actual music to this jingle, like I just thought it was just I, that was a little moment. I was like, "Oh my god, this is fantastic!" Yeah. So, and some so in some of the cinematics, if I missed some of Mario's emotion to say, "I oh, think Mario's feeling this," they kind of missed that little point. Mm. But it was so little, really. It was a very, yeah, very, wow. very few little things. But they really, you know, they really. This is why their games are so perfect because it takes mm. such a degree of it, to the to the to the most finite thing. They've got the butter right down to the thing they want to get changed, and, and it makes it all. It might be a tiny change, but it makes a massive difference, you know. So yeah. they really like that about all that stuff. So that's why the games are great because they take that degree of, you know, but burying down to get it right, you know. Yeah, that's so cool. Mm. What a what a dream dream mm. job. Oh. They they should be super open and, and like it's it's cool to see someone like giddy about it. You know, even though you've been working on it, and you've been doing games for years. It's like cool. It's cool to see someone who's 
20 years in, it still gets giddy over, over doing some. Oh my God. I, I think the day I stopped being giddy, so she, the day should retire. Cause like, you know, yeah. you need to have that. You got to have that passion, right? I think the thing about mm. the Mario game is that everybody was so, you know, everyone had played Mario for years as kids, right? It's like that thing when you're a kid, like, you know, and like, you don't want to break it. You want to, you want, you're so, you're so respectful of that property, that thing, like it's getting the chance to touch it is so special that you kind yeah. of, you just, you want to try so hard to make it the best it can be. And the whole team felt like that. And you can yeah. see, every, every, a lot of people kept saying they could feel the passion in the game. And I think you really can because everyone, right, every animator, everybody, every, everybody on that team in Milan and Paris works so hard to polish it. You know, some of those mm. characters, they've got like something like one and a half thousand animations per character. There's an absolute ton for every character in the game. They went overboard, got did everything right, like that, you know. Wow. It, like it just, and it shows when you play the game, it's so polished and it's so mm. respectful and it's so passionate. You can feel it. I think that to get that across on a game is pretty hard. Um, yeah. You know, but I think, I think half the time, everybody's so scared to be the one that broke it. You know what I mean? You know what yeah. I mean? So <laughs> yeah. To be tried, the weakling. Yeah. yeah. So everyone tried super hard to make sure they didn't break their bit, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah cool. definitely. With, amazing experience yeah. and, and, you know, how can you not be giddy about Mario for God's sake he's, he's the top of the tree right so I'm not concerned you know yeah yeah um, awesome man like uh, can you tell me what's next for you like what's on what's on the plate uh, I don't think I can actually probably not no so yeah, you know, cool. it's that same no old thing right so yeah I've got things I actually thought I might have a bit of time off but it looks like it's not going to be that way so I'm going to get straight back into it again so uh, okay. you, I've got some little bits and pieces to do now but I've got some other bit larger things coming up later so okay. uh, yeah, so you know, I should be back on the uh, back in the writing notes down pretty soon. Cool, cool. Right. Okay. Sweet. <laughs> I really want to. I want. I really want to like try and pick your brain more, but I'll I'll leave it at that. That's all right. Um, Grant, thank you, thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure picking your brain. Thanks for opening up uh, and, and trying to trying to remember twenty years ago what it was like working on the sixty fourth. Yeah, I'm old, right? You, you, you youngsters, not for you. I'm old. I can't remember. Too old. <laughs> Not for you youngsters. It's nah, awesome, man. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. <laughs> no, anytime. Anytime. Yeah. So, um, you know, need to talk to me again. Give me a shout. Yep. Cool beans. All right. Cool. Thanks, Grant. Right, appreciate right, it. Yeah, you too, sir. See you, mate. All right. Bye. Bye.